Welcome to Topple Uncaged. I'm Steve Topple and you're locked on to the UK's hottest politics and music podcast. Each week I bring you the rawest takes on the big stories making the news, always joined by a very special guest. Then I pleasure your mind, body and soul with the freshest, most banging international music going. Uncaged. Regular listeners to the show will know that I generally talk about and have guests on who talk about issues that are either close to my heart or I'm very passionate about. My guest on today's special edition is no exception to that rule. She is a mother and, um, having spoke to her at length behind the scenes, a force to be reckoned with. Her daughter, chronically seriously ill, currently in a Spanish hospital, is in a very, very desperate situation. But moreover than that, the story behind this young lady's now hospitalisation is absolutely staggering. I mean, I, I shouldn't be shocked, to be honest, quite a lot of the time with things that I hear about the medical profession and about people's situations but this still did stun me and and I said as much to her mother off air that I was still shocked um so her mother has come on today to shed some more light on what exactly is going on with her beautiful daughter what people can do to help and also the background to this situation what has gone on and I think it will ring true with many people listening to this as always with podcasts that are to do with health and medicine and also um, chronic illness um, this involves some complex medical terminology at points we will try and keep it as simple as possible but just to pre-warn you of that also I know a lot of listeners will themselves be chronically ill with conditions that will impair their cognitive ability and also their memory and concentration so throughout the podcast there will be regular breaks where you know you can press pause take a break if you need to and then come back to it because I want to make this as easy for you to listen to as possible so i think we should get going um i'm so excited to have her on excited in terms of that i hope she finally has a good platform to properly put her daughter's story across i'm also sad i have to have her on to do this um but we'll get into that later but she's absolutely wonderful she's a fantastic fantastic lady i'm very pleased to be able to introduce the podcast victoria cheney victoria thank you so much for coming on it's been such a pleasure chatting to you as i said behind the scenes um for a few days now but it's great to finally get you on to properly go in on your daughter's story so thank you for coming on oh hello steve hi thank you for having me on no absolute pleasure um so your daughter's antonia um now that's right there's been some press around your daughter already and there has been in the past because she was on DIY SOS several years ago in 2016 I believe when um, Nick Knowles and his team effectively rescued her from hospital um, where she was critically ill and and adapted the house to bring her home Um, Antonia lives with some very 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 complex illnesses Um, I think from the outset let's paint the picture for the listeners 
at home um, to explain exactly what Antonia is living with. What what are, are her illnesses and how are they impacting on her life now? And I mean, has it been a progressive thing? Tell, explain all for everyone listening at home about what Antonia lives with. Okay, so Antonia does have a chronic illness, well, lots would describe it as a chronic illness, but it has acute relapses. She has um, a genetic connective tissue disorder, um, which affects all of her all of her body really it's hypermobile hypermobile type of eds ellis danlos syndrome and it affects the collagen throughout the body including ligaments and joints um which and the collagen is basically what holds us together so with antonia and and her um condition it wasn't known right from the beginning from when she was a little girl that that's what we had but as as she um got older her her illness sort of showed itself so to speak as a little girl she had had um some seizures at about two but there wasn't a known reason behind what was happening to her and she was a happy little girl um and it was more in her teenage years that she started to get um not very well um what she lives with really now is quite different from what it started at at 14 because it has been progressive as you say steve the first thing that happened really with Antonia is she started collapsing at 14. Um, she had headaches, she had extreme lethargy and pain. And at 14, many people around her were thinking, oh, this is, she's a teenager. It's possibly something to do with um, the growth. It's to do with um, psychological, all sorts of things. And actually, it appeared that she was collapsing at about lunchtime um, initially. And so I thought perhaps she wasn't having food and actually Antonia's a bit of a foodie. So that was kind of <laughs> a bit of a strange thing to think. But it turned out that she was collapsing after food. Um, and when I say collapsing, she was passing out effectively. And this this went on for quite a while. This was in 2012. And when we went to doctors or she was taken to the A&E department, nobody really knew what was happening. As I say, some people, some of the doctors thought it would put a psychological label on it, put it down to her being 14, put it down to hormones, etc. Um, and it took a long time to get a diagnosis for Tonia um, to the um, Ellis Danlos that she was finally diagnosed with with experts and as the illness progressed it affected as I said it affects all body parts it affected her digestive system it affected her her bladder it affected her respiratory system she had dislocations of her joints a huge amount of pain um, whilst trying to trying to carry on and it was about 2000 and um 12 that she was at the end of 2012 that she was admitted into hospital uh, by a wonderful consultant actually who said I've absolutely no idea what this is but I'm going to try and find out prior to that we'd had people just say you know well I've, I'd asked the NHS the doctors what should I do and they'd said well basically I'd have a call around on the floor until you find out what it is because she was literally falling headfirst down the stairs mm. she would be in a field walking the dog and she would collapse and there was you know, she was hurting herself at school she didn't hurt herself too much she had friends that would hold her up and she was very very determined to stay in school and actually said to school um you know you can't stop me coming to school they'd said she was a health and safety risk said you can't stop me going to school because that's discrimination and she's always wanted to carry on as best she can with what's ever happening to her so the the illness was huge in that respect to start with 
But when she um, went into hospital in 2012 for a blood test, she actually didn't then come out really for three and a half years. Mm. Um, so that's a, a huge impact. Um, she couldn't stand up suddenly. She was every time she's tried to stand up, she would collapse. And as I say, nobody really knew what that was. And there wasn't anybody around at that time um, who could give the answers, it seemed, on the NHS. Nobody seemed to know what it was. Um, and so we sought expert advice privately um, and she was diagnosed um, with Ehlers-Danlos. And with that came a secondary disorder, dysautonomia, which affected all the temperature control of the body, the blood pressure, the heart rate, and all different things of her body were affected. I think you summed that up excellently. Um, many listeners to this program will know that um, my girlfriend, Nicola Jeffrey, lives with um, many of the conditions and illnesses that Antonia does. Um, Nicola has hypermobile. Well, it's, <laughs> it, it, it's gone from, you'll relate to this, Victoria, um, it's gone from hypermobile Ellos Danlos with one consultant to hypermobility spectrum disorder with another consultant back to hypermobile Ellos Danlos with another consultant to classical Ellos Danlos with another consultant. And we're waiting for genetic testing to find out which one it is uh, but uh, yeah yeah exactly absolutely i mean when Tonya was first diagnosed it was ellis danlos type 3 but they've obviously changed the the way they they're referring mm. to try and categorize but i don't think there's a complete understanding even now and i think the ellis um ellis danlos uk society would agree that you know there's still so much to know about this illness mm. and it's so little understood um you know i guess when I was speaking to a GP recently, they said to me that actually they only actually, as a, as a doctor, did eight hours on all the connective tissue disorders in their training. Yeah. So actually at that level, there isn't going to be the understanding and even the experts are still trying to find the, the gene which affects this and trying to find the, the answers. So I understand where there's such a lot of discrepancy in the early days mm. um, and not having the understanding. It's just that once you've got the diagnosis, albeit that bits and bobs change with it, mm. um, it's trying to get other people that have no understanding or don't believe Ehlers-Danlos syndrome exists or have their own views or whatever mm. to actually keep the protocols and things that make your symptoms better in place. No, absolutely, you're spot on, and um, we have personal experience of this. I think I think it'd be useful for listeners at home just to know that um, there are currently uh, 14, I think, is the latest um, subtypes of Elos Danlos. Um, they range in severity of certain aspects of them. They range in symptoms, um, but there's 14 current subtypes. 13 of them have um, genetic mutations which have been identified. The one that they can't find the gene for to categorically prove it in someone is the hypermobile subtype which is probably actually one of the most common ones so the diagnosis of it is based on clinical presentation um, and diagnostics done by experts in their fields now it, it is it's an extremely complex illness as I say there's 14 subtypes um, and you described how it affects the body extremely well um, it, it presents in multiple ways from as you pointed out dysautonomia um, gastroparesis is a very common complaint with their lost and lost syndromes it's severe 
cognitive impairment, um, issues with your bowels as well, um, fatigue, um, problems with the heart, problems with your blood pressure, problems with your temperature regulation, as you pointed out. It's extremely complex. So, of course, um, Victoria, I suppose back in 2012 when she got so ill that she, as you said, was hospitalised then for three and a half years, um, you can kind of understand then why medical professionals may have been scratching their heads because, I, I, I mean, back in 2012, Elos Danlos wasn't, I don't think, as well recognised necessarily no, as certainly. it is now. Um, so, but I mean, so when Antonio first was that ill in 2012, how was the NHS then for you? And it's how was its approach to her back all those years ago? How did they care for her and handle her? Well, I think um, initially it was we were turning up at A&E departments, I suppose, having had to collapse maybe at school and then the paramedics were coming and she was turning up. They were doing the normal tests that you would do for somebody that collapsed with heart, with um, EGs, all those other things. And basically, because the tests come back as normal, because they're not actually doing the right tests, Mm. then there is this attitude of actually there's nothing wrong. I can remember one... Um, consultant saying so um, well the good news is there's absolutely nothing wrong with you (laughs) and what you need to do is you can go and see a good psychiatrist when you're ready and um, that that's absolutely fine and that was before she was admitted into hospital and of course Antonia was mortified at this because she was a really active girl I mean she was a cheerleader she was a dancer she was a horse rider she wanted to be a doctor herself actually at the time and she she was having the best time of her life fantastic friends and as I say wanted to be in school and then you were confronted with clinicians who didn't understand it um, or perhaps weren't going to um, accept that there was something wrong because it had to be psychological Mm. because I find that I found that if there wasn't an answer to what it was, it had to be psychiatric. It has to be psychological. Um, and that, that's been a challenge all the way along. And I know that other, other patients with lots of different illnesses have that as a situation until they find out what it is. I, it wasn't that at the early days it was bad. It was just there was nowhere to go. Yeah. Um, and But when we went to paediatrics, and as I say, the, the consultant who, who looked after Antonio, in fact, two consultants who looked after Antonio, ultimately when we'd gone in as um, inpatients he was wonderful you know to actually put his hands up and say I haven't got a clue what this is but we're going to find out and then he worked with the expert that diagnosed her and that was the difference they worked as a team to get her as well as they could and actually put in care plans which got her well which until things got worse meant that she did try to go to college in about September 2013 she tried to go to to riding school and to college recreation college and that failed because her gastroparesis that you talked about because her digestive system and her bowel and everything about that stopped working Mm. and experts again worked with this consultant to try to get it work to work but it wouldn't we had a challenge of trying to get into tertiary care right back then and my mp got involved on my behalf at that point because antonia was getting so well she unwell she'd started to collapse and was starting to having respiratory compromise Mm. um and I thought she was really poorly then. I didn't realise just how ill she'd get. You know, seemingly travelling to an expert in London in those days when she was an inpatient in Gloucestershire um, seemed not a good thing to do because she was too unwell. If I knew what I knew now, I would have gone, you know. Yeah. But um, it, it it became that 
she then was admitted to a tertiary centre who were expert. It was a gastro ward and she remained on that gastro ward for a year and a half um, or thereabouts and then returned to local on a gastro ward as well. And they worked tirelessly in a lot of ways because they were working with the experts to try to deal with the symptoms to they 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 diagnosed her with um, gastrointestinal failure in May 2014, having done multiple tests, having tried to feed her in all different ways and ended up, um, she was ended up putting on the register for total parental nutrition into the heart because they couldn't feed her into her stomach. They couldn't feed her into her jejunum um, and she, her bowel wasn't working, whatever they tried tried and and that's where we were at that stage which was horrific actually because that's not where where you expect to be or go or for somebody to say you won't ever be able to eat again which is what they said to Antonia at the time you're going to be on TPN and you can't eat uh, that has slightly changed in the way it is now I believe with people and they start to try and eat a little bit and, you know it, it depends on the actual clinician but that was where we were in 2014 and then managing Antonia's POTS collapses she couldn't stand up at all so she was completely bed bound and she was in a hospital room because you know it during this whole time she didn't have a wheelchair she hadn't ever had a wheelchair before so she was literally in a bed mm. for all that time in a room so the impact was just huge in that in that way but they managed to put a treatment plan into place for her which allowed her to come out of hospital in 2000, end of 2015, early 2016, thanks to DIYSOS, mm. who transformed our house yes. um, and allowed us to have the equipment and things that we needed for her to be able to lie completely flat. Because if she put her legs down at all, she fell unconscious, yeah. sometimes leading to a seizure. If she sat up often too high, she would fall unconscious. Um, so she was pretty much um, flat at that time. Um, and she came home um, with a with the um, CCG commissioning group um, sorting out a care package for her originally. And things were quite good at that time. The GP had overseen um, her care plan and taken on the medicines, etc. She was on all IV. She was IV dependent into a central line. Um, in fact, she had two central lines at the time. And I had trained in her all her lines and her care as had Antonia herself because she's hugely independent fiercely independent Antonia is and um and we had some nurses that were looking after her also at home so we had a care package um and and initially things things were going well her illness deteriorated as as we were home and and as it the the progression of it became very frightening Mm. um to deal with Feel free to go and grab yourself a tea, coffee, water or any other liquid refreshment you want because we're going to take a short break but me and Victoria will be back in a few minutes. This is and this is where it starts getting. I mean, if you you it was complex enough as it was, um, and I'm sure listeners will will agree with that. But it then got even more more complicated, didn't it? Because you found out that she had additional complications, specifically with her neck, didn't you? And and this is something again. If people follow me on social media, you see I tweet about this all the time because I think it's a huge issue. But so Antonia, you just 
discovered had had serious complications with her neck. What exactly was going yes. on there? Well, I mean, what led us to find out about it was Antonia was in absolute agony. Um, it was the most horrific time for her that I think that she would ever talk about. She actually was at the point where she didn't feel she could go on at all. And she was begging doctors to try and help her. She was begging anyone to try and help her. In fact, she put a, a, a plea out on social media uh, to say that she couldn't cope anymore. Mm. Antonia has a, a journey page, Tony's Journey. So she she talks a lot on social media. She uses that a lot to support other people and and to try to be as positive as she can and this was a very new thing for people to see of Antonia begging for help um she every time she sat up she was falling unconscious she was having to be um, bag valve masks but with uh, having respiratory arrests and so I was dealing with this daily and she was having um, a lot of seizures there wasn't an understanding of what was going on and the pain was absolutely immense for her um and and so having put this plea out, um, we had quite a lot of feedback back from various places and it was decided that she should have an upright MRI scan. It was something actually which was discussed whilst we were at a tertiary centre in London when I'd been to years and years and years before but she couldn't ever have an upright MRI scan because she couldn't sit up without falling unconscious and we had to decide to go and have the upright MRI scan and, and have her fall unconscious because we needed this scan and then and then if she had a respiratory arrest deal with it which we did yeah. as as this was happening um what it basically found was that she had developed um something called cranial cervical syndrome where the ligaments become so lax that the vertebrae become really extremely unstable and um it can create subluxions and dislocations inside the head and down the spine uh, and when this happens, it puts pressure on the brain stem and spinal cord, which then affects the signaling from the brain to the rest of the body. And that's when secondary conditions developed, develop. And in Antonia's case, her um, odontoid, it showed in the MRI scan that her odontoid peg was shifting. Um, and actually, every time she turned her head, she was actually collapsing mm. and she was having a seizure and she was stopping breathing every time she collapsed. Um and this was sent by um, a professor in London to the Centre of Excellence, the European Centre of Excellence in Technon, to the, um, in Barcelona, to the surgeons there who looked at Antonia's scan and were quite horrified. Mm. Um, and Dr. Gillette said that um, we needed to act really quickly. This was in February 2000. 18 I want to say 2018 it seems like it's um yeah it was 2018 mm. and um we needed to get there immediately really um and that was going to be a challenge because we needed to raise the funds to get to Barcelona to get that done yeah. as soon as possible he didn't feel that she would he felt she was at extreme risk of dying um she was being allowed to have seizures because of a lack of understanding or a lack of acceptance, I should say, with the local hospital. Um, her seizure management had been changed um, when I complained about the seizure management, um, that she was being allowed to keep seizing, and I was being told this could risk her life. Um, so we were in a horrific situation, well, she was in a horrific mm. situation, and, and a, a, a campaign of raising the funds to get us to Barcelona to get the surgery went ahead and we managed to raise those funds in three months to get her to Barcelona. Wow. Um, 
it, yeah, it was. Some people ask how we did that. I'm not actually sure because at the time I was looking after Antonia single-handedly, really, mm. um, with all that was going on. I mean, and, and to put it into perspective, the house had to be completely silent. Um, I had to listen. I couldn't have a television on or anything with Antonia or any noise because I had to be on three-minute check because what was happening was her tongue was falling back, blocking her airway. And so I had to hear that and then put a Goodell airway in and then make sure that we were keeping it alive. And when, when we actually got to Barcelona, they were really shocked by what, what was happening or what had, what had been allowed to carry on, really. Um, the teams back in England um, weren't accepting of uh, the diagnosis, I think, or not having an understanding, but also not willing to discuss it mm. with the teams in Barcelona. And that was where a major problem evolved, really, because... Just sorry, can yeah, I just interject at this point? I, I just want to, I just want to sort of add in um, just a couple of caveats with this, if you like. Um, the syndrome that you talk about also um, it manifests as what's known as craniocervical and also atlantoaxial instability. I mean, you summed it up very well when you say the ligaments are lax around the cervical junction, which is the top four vertebrae in the spine, which causes them to essentially overshoot over each other. Um, a huge um, addition degrees of movement which shouldn't manifest in your spine at all um, as you pointed out it involves brainstem compression um, quite often you have subluxations which are partial dislocations or full dislocations of the vertebrae or also the facetal joints which surround them and of course all these um, different parts of the spine especially the facetal joints are involved in the central nervous system so it, as Victoria quite rightly pointed out it then has huge implications across the body what's crucial in this and you you, you kind of touched on it with um, when you said that the doctors back over here didn't believe the diagnosis. The NHS doesn't actually properly recognise any of these syndromes of the cervical junction at all in Elos Danlos. If you go to the NHS webpage, there's no acknowledgement of it. Um, there's no form of treatment plan for anyone living with it. The NHS says in official statements that if the um, patient is deemed that it will be um, the best option for them then surgery can be looked into they don't do that it's a blatant 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 lie from the nhs mm. there is no recognition of any issues within the cervical junction in terms of elos danos or connective tissue disorders the staggering irony victoria as i'm sure you know of this is that craniocervical instability is well recognized in um down syndrome people um it's it's a very yeah. common complaint in with people living with down syndrome everyone knows about it um it's well recognized immediately diagnosed and yet, for whatever reason, which we'll get into later, it is not recognised in connective tissue disorders. And so what happens, as you so um, lucidly put, is that people in this country living with instabilities of their cervical junction have to crowdfund to raise the money to go and see one of five surgeons on this planet who can actually operate and um, correct these instabilities. There's a gentleman, as you pointed out, Dr. Gillet in Spain, who does this, and then there's four surgeons in America and there's one on the cards for this country finally now but that is only private so people are literally having to beg for money to go and have this operation because the NHS does not recognize it um I mean when you 
when she first got this look I have to say it I mean I'm dealing with this with Nicola she has craniocervical and atlantoaxial instability and I have a kind of acceptance now that the NHS is a waste of time for Nicola we just don't bother with it anymore because we know we're not going to get anywhere and there's a kind of acceptance already within me um, from having watched Nicola over the years now and um, having gone full throttle with this that the NHS is going to help us but you were you were at the behest and uh, at, uh, at the mercy almost and I know it's a hard expression to use maybe but you were at the mercy of the NHS for many years so of course when they when you had this diagnosis from Dr Gillet in Barcelona um, and he was frantic by the sounds of it about how serious it was because Antonio's case is really serious in the worst cases essentially their skull can collapse onto their spine and decapitate them it can kill them um, the people living with this and, yeah. um, I mean and at that time, you know, Dr. Jett had said it was the worst case that he'd seen. Mm. Um, I mean, I was living with her symptoms. The hospitals were living with her symptoms. I mean, and let's not forget, she'd had um, multiple sepsis as a result of she's got mast cell activation disorder mm. um, it, to complicate matters, which means that um, if protocols aren't followed to keep that under bay, she would get uh, multiple amounts of sepsis. And so she was at a huge risk all round. Um, the NHS, you know, they've been brilliant. Some doctors, and I, you know, I'm not here to say that everything about the NHS is terrific in, mm. in terms of, but it, just in terms of Antonia, she's had fantastic doctors, fantastic experts who understand about this. Um, having gone back into, let's say, the community and with the Southwest, the CCG overseeing Antonia, um, that I think. Um, is where things started to go wrong, I guess, mm. because in 2016, when we've been home for a while, it was decided by the powers that be, um, the head of Southwich CCG, that we would keep things as local as possible. So the GP would have to oversee Antonia's multi-difficult uh, <laughs> uh, systems and mm of course wouldn't have time to do that and then they wanted to appoint um, one of the consultants in the local hospital to oversee it which was a, mo a massive task for somebody to do um, but you know there was an attempt to do that and that consultant did try the best to do it but when I think what when when things really went wrong was that Antonia was having these seizures and they were horrific very very painful her pain was completely out of control which i have to say was completely ignored mm. um you know a psychiatrist saw antonia and, and likened it to torture and and wrote and said you need that the, the, the um, consultants needed to deal with her uh, pain the level of pain mm. um because actually the trauma that she was coping with was as a result of pain and structure of her body uh, not as a, not because of anything else and um it was ignored the pain relief was being lowered at this point so she was in a terrible situation nobody was listening they mm. wouldn't accept the diagnosis they actually said i'm never going to change my mind so i'm not going to speak to Barcelona um, and that was that and that was really after I complained about the seizure management and it not meeting the nice guidelines I have to say mm. and as soon as that happened the care plan was changed 
and um, suddenly she wasn't having seizures according to this care plan and I wasn't um, I was no longer having been in as Antonia's carer in hospital since 2012 um, all of a sudden in 2018 and 2018 I wasn't allowed to or they didn't want me to be her carer anymore um, which put Antonia at huge huge risk because she has um, also as a result of being in hospital for so long and lots of trauma associated with that and the way some clinicians have dealt with her she has massive post-traumatic stress disorder um, and needs to have the support within hospital but I do think that there was certainly locally a total non-acceptance and then it went to if it, it was we were literally being harassed I was going to say because yeah that that was going to be the next question because it went from kind of non-acceptance to almost sort of bullying didn't it really and intimidation yeah I mean we put in um, complaints about harassment neglect and and abuse intimidation Antonia was Antonia felt um, well she didn't I don't know what Antonia felt at the time Antonia could hardly sit up she couldn't see properly she couldn't hear properly um, there was this insistence that um, they didn't want us to follow that path particularly or they I don't know whether they wanted us to or didn't want to do or whether they were covering from I don't know what was going on all I know is that it was a horrific situation to be in and I just knew that we had to get to these consultants because having spoken to them at length and having had one of the um, senior medical directors there look into Antonia's case massively and put a program together where actually they had to bring her to Barcelona four weeks before she needed the surgery which was pretty unheard of in those terms because she wasn't being looked after because the things that they were asking to be done so they could perform surgery were done such as um, making sure she had a clean central line which one would think would be an obvious making sure that um, her digestive system was as clear as possible she used to have to go to, sur- to theatre to have that happen for Antonia so um, these things weren't happening so they brought Antonia to Barcelona four weeks early um, to perform surgery and um, it was a very very difficult time no Um, I mean so uh, the NHS and the consultants around you were were forcibly trying to stop um, you and Antonia from going to Barcelona to see Dr. Gillette to have have the surgery that was required to alleviate many, many of these symptoms, essentially save her life because it is a life threatening. Yeah, and condition. I should say it wasn't I should say it wasn't just that we went on that advice either. I mean, we saw other consultants. We went and saw other neurospinal surgeons privately to get their understanding of what we should do. We were told by um, the, the expert rheumatologist um, for EDS that she need, that he had had many patients that um, had gone to Dr. Gillette and had really, really good um, results, that the infrastructure on the NHS was in its infancy in dealing with CCI, AAI and SAI, and that actually um, this was in its early stages and Antonia didn't have time on her side. He'd looked at the scans, um, they'd been looked at by the professor um, radiologist and that she literally didn't have time on the side and she needed to go to Dr. Gillette. And the plan was that he would do testings there and see what needed to be done, which, which is what, indeed what he did. Um, and, the, and the results were remarkable. When we got to Barcelona and Antonia was treated with, by a team who understood Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, who understood Marcel Activation Disorder, who understood the effects on the body and how careful you had to be with 
different aspects of care, um, it was quite mind-blowing, actually, just in the sense that all the nurses and doctors understood and you were having a conversation with people that understood it in the same way as we'd had with doctors throughout the experts who had understood Antonia's gastroparesis, who'd understood her Marcel before. Because, of course, we had seen consultants throughout who who had the understanding it's just that other other um, clinicians wouldn't wouldn't accept necessarily or follow through those protocols because they didn't have the local protocol within the community they couldn't do it mm. um, because perhaps the ccg didn't have the protocol within the community to do something they just didn't do it so antonia was put at risk but um they they brought forward antonia's surgery they put her into critical care when she got there we travelled with um, an ambulance paramedic and a nurse came with me and we travelled in our own ambulance um, for three days to get Antonia to Barcelona, um, but she wasn't well enough to fly. Mm. And um, they were quite horrified by what they saw <laughs> because Antonia collapsed uh, pretty much straight away and I just did what I do, which was um, use the bag of mask and the Goodell and said that's fine you know we need to use rescue medicines to bring her out of it and and they put her into critical care and then brought her operation forward because she was so at risk and straight after having had the operation which she didn't have a huge chance of survival going into about 30% um, wasn't it I think 30 percent yeah and but she felt that life really wasn't worth carrying on living you know, it was a very, uh, it was a decision for her that actually life was such that she had no quality of life. Um, and she wanted, she wanted the surgery to, because it gave her the best chance, the best chance of quality of life, the best chance of survival. And it was amazing. Um, the results, uh, results after the surgery that she, on her 21st birthday, um, stood up. Uh, for the first time in a very, very, very long time, her feet were flat. Suddenly, she was she'd had dropped feet completely, and her feet were flat. So she was able to wear a pair of shoes for the first time in five years. Um, things that we all take for granted, mm. but um, she suddenly her cognition had come back. She could see, she could hear. Um, she hadn't totally lost her sight, but. Mm. Her sight was so poor when an optician had come to our house because you couldn't go to a hospital to an optician's, um, you know, in a, in a surgery. So she, they'd come to her house prior to that. Glasses didn't make much difference at all. And he's seen her since coming back from the surgery, and he's amazed by uh, how much the improvements have been. And and they were very careful in Barcelona about what what they did. They dealt with her infections and made sure they put a care plan together um, having discovered that if she ate at all she had seizures mm. which actually is similar to when she first got ill at 14 when you look back at how she started collapsing was after food with the sort of they thought pooling of the blood mm. um, with pots um, if she ate she had seizures and they were actually actively stopping her eating saying no you mustn't eat and she said well when I get back to England they will make me eat mm. and I think Barcelona hoped or felt that they would see these incredible changes in Antonia and how well she was doing and that their care plan of course their care plan would be followed but that um, hasn't been we, the case has it at all that no, is not, no, not at that all. is not what has happened at, at all If you do need to have a break at this point in the episode, then now's the time to do it. Because me and Victoria will be back with some more chat in just a few minutes. 
Antonia had the surgery, which is essentially for listeners, it's the surgery they tend to do with craniocervical atlantoaxial instabilities. It's fusion surgery. They fuse the spine together quite often with titanium rods or plates um, and to therefore stabilize the whole cervical junction. So the a lot of the associated conditions um, to do with the autonomic and the central nervous system are effectively stopped because the, the movement of the spine is stopped, therefore the interference with the nervous system is stopped. Um, and th- that's that's what Antonia had, wasn't it? It's fusion surgery. Yes, that's right. She she had a fusion from CO, um, the bone CO, to mm. T2, which that's was first they were going to do. Yeah, because Bloody when hell. they opened Antonia up, they found that he said she was hugely unstable, hugely unstable. He came out and, well, she, he'd operated and came and spoke to me, myself and my son. And um, he said it was like two little fish, you know, each bone. They were so hypermobile that they had to stabilize much further. Um, so, yes, it was <laughs> it was huge, but they'd used the two ribs to stabilize as well. Mm. Um, and... She went into ITU and and was cared for wonderfully, really. Um, But we didn't know at that time what the results would be. Hmm. So, and as you said, um, there was already improvements with her cognitive ability, her eyesight improved, she could put her feet flat on the floor, put shoes on for the first time. Um, So, wonderful improvements, almost miracle, miracle surgery, um, depending on your viewpoint. Um, It's not a miracle, it should be done for everyone living with these conditions, in my opinion, but miracle surgery. The NHS didn't see it like that, did they? No, and, and the other thing which is crucial, which I haven't mentioned, is they mm. stabilised her seizures completely. I mean, the right. majority of Antonia's seizures stopped. She saw a specialist neurologist and they introduced a new um, seizure medication mm-hmm. um, for Antonia and they and they um, gave a rescue medication if she should have seizures. She did have a relapse after surgery where she had a seizure based after she'd had something to eat because she wanted to try to eat her mm. but her her gastro system had seemed to start working better uh, bearing in mind we'd seen a seen a colorectal surgeon before the surgery who had said look go and have the surgery and let's see if that makes a difference i mean we were looking she, antonio was looking at having to have all sorts of things done um with with um colostomy bags and all sorts of things before surgery but she had hoped that she would have a success there had been an intention in the first surgery originally to Antonia has tethered cord or thought to have a cold tethered cord um, also of the spinal cord and they were originally going to do the two operations in one but because she was so unstable they decided to just do the first operation and not do the spinal tethered cord which is still a situation mm. which she's still living with um, but they had hoped that that would help alleviate things. The fact that the seizures were now stable because she'd been having up to 20 seizures a day prior to that. Mm. Um, and she wasn't having collapses when she was sitting up. She was now standing up and indeed starting. I say just standing up she, a few days after that, about seven days, I think she started to walk. She went into the gym in Barcelona um, because she'd gone to the rehabilitation flats and um, she started to walk. And so it wasn't just sort of she was standing up. She literally, great big smile on her face, was starting to get her body back. And, you know, you have to go step by step. They say that it takes a year to really get the fusion stabilized. And so it is crucial how you manage it. And I naively thought, um, 
Well, I didn't. I'd said to the, the director, the medical director, I don't believe that they will follow it because we'd had a horrific time before. But I, I hoped. I thought, yeah, they'll follow it. We then received a discharge summary uh, letter from the local hospital, uh, the people that had been difficult before, stating that she was too complicated. And that for them to oversee, which I kind of accept. The problem with that was that Antonia's consultant, they also discharged her from the consultant that the CCG had put in for her overseeing her care. And that consultant had been her prescriber. So we arrived back home to the GP saying that he would not prescribe anything else, anything that Barcelona in the care plan had said that she needed. But is it sorry to interject? the care plans. Sorry, um, but didn't that include... Um, 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 uh, sorry, my, my words escaped me. But surely that included um, the drugs to make sure she didn't get infection, um, sort of remedial treatments, and, and they said no to that. Absolutely. He was happy to prescribe, but what had happened is... Um, was got involved in 16 and discovered that Antonia was at home. I think it, had, it hadn't been passed on to them by the CCG until that time um, and decided that she was really complicated and had decided with the GP that he wasn't or they weren't as a, a GP practice to prescribe any medicines um, that they hadn't prescribed before and therefore it had to be prescribed by consultants. And that's fine as long as somebody takes ownership of it. Antonia has huge infections. She has all sorts of things that need to be dealing dealt with swiftly and we were forever having battles from 2016 about who was going to prescribe this would somebody prescribe that could you would you it was it was it was ridiculous really we had conference calls every week which um didn't seem to move the situation forward any mm. um none more so than when we came back from barcelona and we literally you know antonio stood up and shook the gp's hand you know and he said i i'm not able to prescribe and we had no prescriber um the bbc got involved at that point and asked the question you know who was going to prescribe and actually the local hospital did concede and prescribe some antifungals but mm. the rescue medicines that antonia had been prescribed were not when they were not willing to prescribe they were not willing to prescribe her nutrition which um, Barcelona hospital hospital wanted her to have I had brought two weeks medications home with me and now we were in a desperate situation because any of the medicines the extra the lacosamide which was a medicine which cannot just be stopped safely um, according to the pharmaceutical guidelines um, they literally wouldn't prescribe and just stopped so we were in a situation where we were at home Antonia had had this major surgery they didn't want her to be seizing obviously because of the fusion and the integrity of that infusion and making sure that it was healing um, her nutrition was affected they wanted her now to eat and drink um, and that was all going to be fine and merry well the situation happened that actually Antonia started seizing and we found ourselves in a position where they said take a seizure diary just do a seizure diary and they <laughs> they wanted to refer her to the gentleman who had said that he had no interest in um, having any understanding whatsoever of um, what was happening with Antonia didn't accept that it was he just said it was just lax ligaments and there was no problem that wouldn't cause seizures. So we didn't want to go back to that neurologist, obviously, mm. because there was a difference of opinion. 
Um, but they wouldn't they wouldn't refer anywhere else urgently. And so we were left in a situation that in the August we couldn't see anybody from a neurological point of view until the September. And they basically I'm sorry, November. They basically said we had to repatriate back onto the NHS and see consultants in each discipline um, in order for those people to prescribe those medications. And that also included pain relief. Um, the pain relief which they had found worked for Antonia. Um, they, they, we had had pain specialists come in specially in, in Barcelona to look after Antonia and find out specifically what worked for her because um, with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, actually uh, medications don't seem to metabolize the same yeah. uh, in lots of ways. And we found that at the moment as well. Um, and they, they put a very straightforward regime for pain relief. It was quite simple, but they would not change it from the one that hadn't worked before and that they'd found didn't work in Barcelona. They would not, they would only stick with the same pain relief. So we're in an awful situation where Antonia was now seizing. I had no rescue meds. I was given a private prescription from the team in Barcelona. They sent it over to me to, to, for me to pick that private prescription up of the rescue medication, clonazepam, and it was blocked from them dispensing it. The NHS blocked the pharmacy from dispensing it. So we found ourselves in a situation where we started to drive to a tertiary centre to try to get help. I'd put safeguarding uh, I, I throughout this whole time, been to county safeguarding and, mm. and about the treatment towards Antonia, about the fact she was at risk, um, to no avail really, because county's view was always that actually this is difference in medical opinion and they can't get involved. Um, so, you know, that's, <laughs> that's, that's how it is as well. Just to interject again, um, so... Antonio was back in this country, had a fusion surgery. It had, by all accounts and purposes at that time, been deemed a success in terms of where she was at at that point because obviously with fusion surgery is, as you quite rightly pointed out, it's a long-term thing. It, takes, it really takes years to know how successful it's been in some people. Um, NHS, back over here, were having none of it, blocking all her medication. We're not accepting that she even had um, these instabilities of her cervical junction and therefore by default therefore what dr gillette had done was not recognized either um wouldn't prescribe the medication nope 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 um i mean it, it just beggars belief but and i've heard the thing is um victoria i've heard this before on this podcast i heard it from samantha smith um who also but she went and had surgery in fusion surgery in america and she came back over here exactly the same problem they block would not dispense any of her medication and any of the protocols that the neurosurgeon um in arizona had instructed them to do i mean i, I want to touch on next just the sort of the multidisciplinary problems you've had because you've had all sorts of agencies involved and it kind of the involvement of all these agencies builds a picture I think of what is really going on here but I mean just briefly then in terms of the position you were left in what what was your next move after that when the NHS were just shutting doors in your face all the time essentially well I thought it couldn't we thought it couldn't get worse but actually it from that point got horrific um, we Worcester Royal Hospital were insistent that they wanted us to um, they hadn't they wanted their care plan followed completely I'd put complaints in um, and this is a trigger of everything I find mm. if you ever complain you lose care or you are labelled um, yeah. which or Antonia's labelled you know Antonia's received le behaviour letters sent once I'd put complaints in all sorts of things have happened um, 
which I just find abhorrent, to be honest, because it isn't reflective of the NHS um, at all mm. that I was brought up knowing. Um, my mother was a, 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 a manager, yeah. a high ma manager in the NHS, and I you know, have a real um, sort of um, affiliation, if you like, mm. with the key... Um, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm trying to put, the, put it into words, but the, the, the key fundamentals of the NHS and what it stands for, which is empathy and care. Yeah. And actually, I, I, those are the things that have been lacking. And particularly on our next bit, where actually we went to, we ended up, Antonia collapsed en route, um, and she ended up being taken as an emergency to John Radcliffe Hospital in Oxford. Um, and she was treated for a seizure which wouldn't stop. We didn't have any rescue meds and um, rescue medications. Previously, I should say that Antonio's protocol had been that Antonio's seizures were stopped with lorazepam. Um, this, was, this had been a protocol since 2012. Um, oh no, sorry, not since 2012, since 2015 it was made in a protocol. She came home with it as her care plan. CCG commissioned it as part of her care plan for oxygen um, seizure medication, lorazepam to be administered IV, and also for her to have a Goodell place in her mouth. Now, that was to um, stabilise her airway, and that was very much her airway management and seizure management, and it, and it was what was required to keep her alive, um, simply. Um, and that was found in Barcelona also. When we went to John Michael Hospital and we went to the um, emergency department, that also was followed. They used lorazepam and the seizure was stopped. Now, because we didn't have um, any of the medications um, that we needed in terms of the clonazepam, um, not sorry, not the clonazepam, the lecosamide, which was the second medication that had been put in, we then had a situation where we needed to try to get Antonia well again. And she she, she really wasn't at all well. The local hospital followed us and said that their care plans must be followed and that the Barcelona care plans shouldn't be followed. Um, <laughs> made me out to be, I don't know what, you know, said I shouldn't be staying because they'd said I couldn't stay in hospital after I put complaints in. And initially, uh, John Radcliffe Hospital followed that. They didn't follow the protocols that were needed. They decided that Antonia could eat and drink normally. Uh, she got aspirated pneumonia. Um, she got sepsis because they didn't follow protocols for other aspects that had been put in by experts, not just from Barcelona, um, but put in by the experts that were covering her mast cell activation disorder and her gastro issues. Um, and she got very, very unwell. And she was treated really, really very badly while she was there. And here's another opportunity for you to go and have a break if you need one. Rest your ears, uh, go and have a drink because me and Victoria will be back soon. What happened at John Rat? What happened there? Because John Radcliffe Hospital in Oxford is kind of, is kind of the, the, for want of a better phrase, the pinnacle of how abhorrent the treatment has been of Antonia, hasn't it? Really? Yeah, I mean, not initially. Um, I genuinely 
they think they were trying to help. They were followed. They were uh, the, uh, the local hospital. They wanted their care plan to be followed. They didn't want anyone hospitals care plan to be followed. I think um, they were trying, but there certainly wasn't. They talk about repatriation of Antonia back and specialists. Specialists were not put in for Antonia um, in order to try to provide. She didn't see. She wasn't under a neurologist. They did. They they put. They did put. Ironically, they did put the medicine like I say my in straight away um, <laughs> and did stop seizures with lorazepam um, but they there wasn't um, a coming together I mean of um, them discussing with um, Antonia and myself about what her care plans are being or looking at the opinions from the years before or the fact that she'd been in hospital for three and a half years as an inpatient on gastro ward or anything else this is what was going to happen um, all her pain relief um, was reduced they ignored completely that she'd had spinal fusion really it was it was irrelevant they were quite happy for her to seize which you know when you bear in mind it says if you're going to do any sports or you travel you're to wear a collar mm. it's not ideal for you to be having seizures or falling no it's um, not you know, at all. But, but, you know, that but that was that was now not a problem. I've been told, obviously, by the surgeons, you know, we do not want Antonius to seize. And immediately in Barcelona, if that had happened, they would stop it instantly because they didn't want that to be a situation. Mm. And it was going to take it, it. The only reason she was having seizures now really was because they were lowering all her fluids. They decided that she would have all oral medications. And they, having had been IV dependent um, for the last five years and for much of that time in hospital and out of hospital but overseen by the, the specialists um, there was this decision that Ellis Danlos wasn't an accepted illness we were told for a start um, that um, these protocols didn't need to be followed hence her getting sepsis on uh, changing with superfeed catheter and um, there was a total lack of a total lack of care um, and Antonia put in um, a complaint, uh, a serious complaint, not wanting one of the consultants to oversee her at all um, because of uh, circumstances that happened. And he was taken off her case. Um, informed consent was broken at, at the John Radcliffe Hospital. Um, their senior clinicians were involved um, in, in that. And actually, is a comp it's completely broken my trust of medical medical um, practices, really, because the NHS constitution is a law. You know, the, the fact that the NHS constitution has been broken in so many ways in the hospital um, just astounds me. It astounds me that that can be allowed to happen. It astounds me more that we, myself and Antonia, have... Um, raised the risk about how they left Antonia. They they discharged Antonia five weeks after she'd gone in um, on no food, no nutrition. She was to eat and drink normally, and, and they stated she could eat and drink normally. The fact is, you know, she's got two gastrostomies in her stomach, and 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 she had a, 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 a surgical J gastrostomy done, which failed. She'd been on gastro wards over those years, and I think, I mean, this this saying really that there's a complete lack of understanding about somebody eating if somebody puts something in their mouth because they chew and spit the food out for taste which you've been told is good psychologically to do so you've actually got the taste and you've got two pegs in your stomach and you're able 
able to aspirate that food out, but you actually get the taste, which is good for you. That doesn't constitute eating. Mm. Um, but that is a big problem because many patients who can't eat in a normal way will actually for the for the sake of taste and because of um, it's a very big part socially in life mm. they will chew and spit food out etc it was it was decided that Antonia could eat and drink properly she didn't need IV fluids that had been used for many many years for uh, alleviating her pot symptoms that is so she can stand up and not be dizzy and not fall over mm. when she's walking um she she didn't need to have any of her medications IV whatsoever. So obviously she um, has had problems with absorption always and many of her medications they couldn't give her because they couldn't give oral versions. So they'd had to come up with other solutions for her symptoms. And she came out of uh, John Radcliffe Hospital feeling very, very unwell and having not managed to get her to tolerate any of those medicines. She was being extremely sick. And since then, she has had six urgent hospitalizations where, and two intubations, two, twice she's had to be intubated, not least now, um, lacking of um, uh, potassium, mm. having had um, gone into status epilepticus when we were out what um, trying to watch a show um, and being taken into another hospital. And the problem we've had is that every any other hospital that she's turned up at, they have insisted that, and I say turned up, that the paramedics have taken her to unconscious. They have insisted, they've, they've treated her clinically on their own findings, and then that hospital have followed through and tried to insist that um, their care plan has been followed. Mm. So, and and it's left her feel it's left her very unwell in a lot of cases absolutely and uh, i mean it's let's let's cut to the chase i was going to i was going to try and dress it up a bit victoria to be honest and, and try and and try and paint a sort of um a, a sort of a professional picture with this but i i, I can't be bothered to be honest because the story is so shocking i mean why has the nhs nuts and bolts here why has the nhs behaved like this towards you and antonia what has gone on here? What is your opinion on why she has literally been abused, bullied, harassed, um, the subject of extreme medical clinical negligence? Um, and as you quite rightly pointed out, probably a lot of breaking of NHS laws along the way. Why has this happened? Well, I think it's simply because we've complained. I mean, you know, why I... I'm in hospital with Antonia, so I'm alongside Antonia and I, I have been her carer and looked after her and have got those protocols of how to manage Antonia myself at home. So I know how I have to have been told by clinicians to keep her safe. You know, the protocols that I'm asking them to do are the protocols I've been asked to live by to keep my daughter safe and alive. And so I you would think, obviously, I would say to the clinicians that I'm seeing this is what her protocols are. Or indeed, she would say not that anybody's actually cared to listen to much that Antonia said, to be honest. Um, mm -hmm. But. I, I think it is, you know, why? Why? Because I think we've complained. Why? Because I think um, there is, there has been a complete dismissiveness towards Ellis Danlos in, in the NHS. I'm not sure why. I don't understand why. I know that there have been hospitals that have written papers in paediatrics against um, 
against the Elastanos existing and saying that it's allowing parents to have a fabricated induced illness, which I have been accused of um, when Antonia was um, at another hospital and she was overdosed. Um, I put a complaint in. And suddenly I had fabricated it or we ha I had Munchausen's by proxy. Mm -hmm. um, according to that hospital, it was that was um, overturned. But again, more recently, I've discovered that um, the hospitals having put in. Having put having put a block on Antonia going anywhere, I mean, and they have literally the Oxford Hospital have literally stopped Antonia having referrals to anywhere else. She she had experts still that were overseeing her, and we asked for um, Antonia to be seen for example by a neurospinal surgeon to oversee her fusion and they literally they wouldn't do it the mdt ccg have literally been a powerhouse of stopping anything happening no you have to go to oxford hospital antonia refused to go to oxford after, after she left there and she went for one outpatient appointment where she was told that her quality of life was irrelevant um and actually after what had happened to her she'd contacted the police about uh, happening that happened something that happened at oxford and i literally think that the reason she has been um, treated in the manner she has and been labelled a difficult patient by them and been labelled a drug seeker because every time Antonia turned up at a hospital um, when they were asked by Hetz, um, and head of NHS England safeguarding why is Antonia having to go to hospitals the answer I believe was that she is IV opiate seeking or she's drug seeking which was an absolute ridiculous when actually she was turning up at these hospitals unconscious taken by paramedics uh, going into status epilepticus not able to IV opiate seek or any other seek she would have been seek have, she would have been asking for pain relief because she was in pain at some point during that hospitalization but actually these labels have been put on and I think those labels have been put on being honest in order to stop us accessing records because if you put a safe guarding alert on it stops anybody accessing records it also stops other clinicians acting and because mistakes have been made there has been a consistent um battering and stopping of other hospitals following their care plans i'll give you an example in february of this year Anthony was admitted to hospital with um an infection, uh, a severe infection, which had been isolated by um, a, a professor who we had to go and see privately because they'd refused to allow us to go and see him on the NHS, despite him being her overseeing professor for the past four years. Um, and he isolated this infection and asked local hospital to provide IV antibiotics. They refused and said she wasn't under their jurisdiction. GP wouldn't prescribe. So we had to drive to this hospital um, where they found that she had a massive infection by this time, which was untreated, and she went into status epilepticus. This hospital admitted her, um, assessed her with neurology, assessed her with pain specialists, assessed her with um, urogynecology and endocrinology, and put her on a discharge plan which involved IV medications in the same way she'd had previously with the fluids and got her stabilised and she felt a lot better. She was discharged on two weeks worth of medications in that way. And at the end of the second week, this hospital had asked the GP to prescribe. They refused to prescribe. And the only medications they would prescribe was anything that Oxford said, and therefore back to the oral medications in ill again. Um, it's been horrific, absolutely horrific for Antonia toing and froing. And at the same time, she has been getting, she has improved because of her surgery. Yeah.
and it's been sort of a juxtaposition of that. She's been trying really, really hard to get her quality of life back and to do what she can with her body whilst not um, damaging it. There have been many NHS specialists who've asked for um, referrals to be made. They have asked for um, tests to be done, the same tests that are being asked for in Barcelona, because she still does have issues that need to be addressed. Um, and there's been a complete refusal to do any of those, a complete blockage. Um, we've asked for all the notes from 2016 for Antonia's records. They are not giving them to her. Nobody will give her her records. Um, and I suspect they'll say, you know, these flags and things are on there, which is completely tying Antonia into a hospital where she has said she doesn't feel safe physically mm. or mentally. And of course, I mean, just on the records, you are entitled to them. I believe you're going down the official route with a subject access request, which is going to um, parliamentary ombudsman at the, the sort of end process of it, isn't it? Yes, that's right. And, um, you know, Antonia's um, done a full SARS request um, for all for all areas, but has yet to be given full notes. Um, some notes that we've received from some places are very scanty, and things have been removed. And obviously, she's asking for the full amount of records to get an understanding of what actually has gone on, mm. in order to what's well, very important for her on, ongoing care. Yeah, no, of course, absolutely. I mean, just touching on, you mentioned sort of that she's under or she was under expert consultants who were requesting things have been prescribed. So the other sort of staggering aspect of the story that you, well, we talked about behind the scenes was that, I mean, Antonia's seen many of the same experts on EDS that I know Nicola has seen. We've, we've kind of, we've met the same people along our, our, our sort of parallel journeys almost. And yet the NHS is, has literally, in Antonia's case, ignored other NHS professionals, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, well, we were told, um, certainly John Radcliffe said, and I, I'm sure they'd agree this, they said that they couldn't um, liaise with experts. And when I first got there, the professor that I was dealing with said, couldn't liaise with other experts whatsoever because their insurance wouldn't cover them to do so. She was at a tertiary centre and they had to use their experts. Now... That is ridiculous, in my opinion, because obviously she's been in hospital for three and a half years. Um, they, he w wouldn't do that. But then, also, if you're not going to do that, then you have to put a multidisciplinary team in to deal with aspects of she needed a cardiologist then under them. If they want to have an MDT for Antonia, you don't just put a geriatrician in, an infectious disease consultant and a psychiatrist to deal with a young lady who has endocrinology um, aspects, cardiology, who, who needs to have rheumatology, who needed a neurospinal surgeon to oversee. I mean, I saw a neurospinal surgeon who said it was absolutely implicit that Antonia had a neurospinal surgeon overseeing her to make sure that her fusion and the integrity of her fusion was was okay mm. and um, the refusal to do that or to refer to the person in the country who was overseeing these cases is just wrong mm. you know it's it's ridiculous and you can't say I won't liaise with the experts that have been dealing with you um, because of insurance or whatever well you can because they did but then not put in the uh, MDT and, 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 you know, the CCG kept going on about we've got an MDT. No, they didn't have a multidisciplinary team dealing with her um, whatsoever. They had 
people who were non-expert. They say that they went on their own clinical expertise, but they couldn't because they weren't experts. They were saying EDS didn't exist. They, was, they, they weren't looking at Antonia's spinal fusion whatsoever. And Antonia had a problem with her spinal fusion and had been requested that she had a CT scan urgently. They refused to do that, and we had to go for that privately. Um, and that still needed to be investigated. Mm. Um, it was requested that she, she had various tests done um, to check for vascular return and for things that we really, really needed. Um, and that was those also were refused to be done as unnecessary. They also started refusing to do blood tests and all sorts of other things. So it hasn't <laughs> it has become absolute it had become absolutely ridiculous and then then life threatening because I put in um, major concerns to um, NHS England, head of safeguarding, regarding the infection risk, regarding the airway management, regarding the seizure management, um, regarding Antonia's mental health and PTSD and the fact that she was at risk being insisting she was going back to a, uh, a surge, uh, to a tertiary centre where she couldn't go back to now because her PTSD had been triggered so badly. Um, and actually, all that they did was seem to allow her to be bullied further and for these alerts to be put on her name that's just i mean which is why why we've got a problem now yeah i was going to say i want to sort of sort of bring this all together later on about all the different agencies you've had involved but as you say this is why why you're in the position you are in now because what i haven't said of course is that i'm speaking to you and you're in barcelona again aren't you it is absolutely fascinating and staggering in equal measure speaking to Victoria about her and Antonia's story. But what you've heard so far is only half the story because I will be back on Saturday the 10th of August with the second part of this interview where we go into more detail about why Antonia and Victoria are currently in Barcelona, what has been going on, what could potentially be going on if they come back to the UK and what needs to change in this country so people with these debilitating illnesses illnesses are properly recognised, properly cared for and get the proper support that they need. So that will be out tomorrow, Saturday the 10th of August. As always, I have to thank the people who made this podcast possible. The gorgeous Nicola Jeffrey, who's the love of my life. You can follow her on Twitter. It's at Nicholas T. Jeffrey. My sound engineer, fantastic Gav Paws. You can follow him on Twitter. It's at Paws with a Z Radio. And my vocal talent, my in-house singer, Ray Star Music. You can follow her on Twitter. It's at Ray underscore star 113. Thank you so much to the canary for uncaging me and letting me do these special episodes of topple uncaged make sure you join us support us details are in the show notes thank you very much for you at home to listening and i will see you on the next episode tomorrow uncaged